0: I'm glad to be able to preach here again today. Uh, I hope you had a good Christmas. We did. Uh, Jill's family was in town to celebrate with us, and that's always fun. Uh, We swapped a few germs. uh, Jill's older sister brought down some interesting germs from Hamburg, New York, that weren't present in Houghton until they got here, and then they multiplied quickly in our house. And so some of us fell ill on the 24th, and some on the 25th, and the 26th, and the 27th. And the 28th, but then on the 29th, apparently it's gone, so we're thankful. Um, But that's part of the fun with family, is the swapping of exotic germs. So, uh, now it seems to me uh, that it's during the holiday season that the differences in your families really come out. And um, Jill and I are very different people, as those of you who know us know. Now, I remember when I was a kid, it was a very important part of Christmas... After all the presents got opened, that they would be arranged under the tree. And there would be kind of an artful arrangement. And then when the family would come over later in the day, my dad would sort of walk through the gifts with the grandparents who hadn't been there in the morning. And they could say, this is what Michael got. And, you know, Mike gave this to me and Dan gave this to me, etc. And then after that, the presents would go back under the tree in this artful arrangement. And then they would sit there. For days at a time, perhaps. It would just sit there and remain. And you'd go and grab one gift that you wanted to play with. And you would put it back under the tree when you were done. Or you might take it upstairs. But under the tree, the gifts would remain for days and days. And we might leave them there really until, I don't know, New Year's? January the 4th? I don't really. Somewhere in there, finally, we got tired of seeing the gifts under the tree. And we'd pick them up. Now, Jill's family is very, very different from that. And if you know Jill, you can just picture her sort of getting frustrated as she watches these gifts sit under the tree. Now, it's always amazing to me, then, when we have Christmas with her family, how there is a time on that day, like on Christmas Day, the day itself, when people gather up the gifts, and they go and put them away, right on Christmas Day. It's cold, it's unfeeling, it's insensitive. (laughs) But they do that. These strange people that I married into. Uh, Now... This year, in fact, Jill's family did one better than this because uh, they arrived in town about 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve and all of her sisters were there and the husbands and the grandkids and all of that. And uh, the kids were all asleep when I got home from church Christmas Eve. It was 8.30 and we said, well, why don't we just open adult gifts now and then the kids can open tomorrow morning and that way we won't be sort of infringing on the kid time. And so the adults sat around Christmas Eve and opened Christmas gifts for each other. And sure enough, 11, 15 Christmas Eve night, when all the gifts are opened, everybody picks up their gifts and puts them away. Before Christmas Day, the (laughs) Christmas gifts had been unwrapped and put away. This is the sort of family that I married into. Now, this was different than my family, but again, it's kind of nice because there is a point when you look under the tree and you think, I would just assume these things put themselves away, Right? And today is one of those days. If you still have gifts under your tree, you're beginning to wish they would put themselves away. December 30th is just about the time when Christmas officially begins to feel old. You haven't watered the tree recently, have you? Be honest. Right? Let it turn brown. Christmas is past. And you know what? Better yet, just get it out of the house. You know, take it out, throw it away, burn it, whatever you do. Vacuum up the needles, clean up any residual mess, and let's get ready to move on to a shiny new year. Now, I overstate things, I suppose, a bit, but there is a sense that this time of year that Christmas can bring, that the celebration has just passed, and any remnants that are still sitting around are somehow inauthentic and should just be gone. The Christmas stations stop playing Christmas music December 26th at 12.01. They're ready to move on. Uh, increasingly as a youth driven culture we're already always inclined to be looking towards what's next and so if you go to the mall now i'm sure you can find valentines day gifts to purchase that's what it feels like today now i should remind you of one thing in the historic christian church christmas is not even half over today is the 6th day of christmas it's a 12 day celebration and today is the 6th the 6th geselan right and so there's plenty more time to go in the Christmas season if you want to. So if you want to go back home and you want to drink eggnog and enjoy the season a bit more, go ahead. But, but there still is something gray about today. The shine is off the holiday somewhat. And I remember when I was a kid, that reality was very hard for me. I used to look forward to Christmas a lot. And then when it was over, I often had trouble processing that it was over so quickly. And I felt like I couldn't quite deal with the fact that this joy and this peace that had been promised to me for a long time now was all of a sudden gone. And I think a lot of people feel depression at this time of year and and struggle with meaning and purpose. The long nights and the short gray days don't often help with that. Now, um, you might not feel exactly as I did when I was a boy. That's okay. Not everybody has to be a slightly neurotic 10-year-old. But there, there is a sense, I think, that we all have this time of year. What's next? What's next? Where do we go from here? We've, we've had our holidays. Real life has returned for some of us. Real life is swiftly coming for others of us. But how do we approach it? How do we live faithfully after the thrill of a holiday has passed? You know, I think a lot of... Modern Christians have trouble relating to Jesus during the ordinary times of our lives. We know how to celebrate a holiday. We know how to be penitent. Oh, heaven knows we evangelicals know how to be penitent when it's time to repent. We know how to repent. But we don't know how to shift back to ordinary time, to to ordinary snowy days in the winter, to ordinary sunny and rainy days in the summer, when there's no festival and there's no penitence. I'm tempted to preach another sermon which is about how we tend to equate the worship of God with an emotional experience and that's part of our problem but that's a different sermon. I'll preach that another time. What I want to do is talk about this passage that's been read this morning because I think it has a lot to say about what we do when an ecstatic experience has passed. Now the part of the story that was read this morning is part of the Christmas story and it's probably not the most famous part. The famous part, of course, is the angel showing up to the shepherds And telling them they shouldn't be afraid, right? There's an angel bringing good news. Today has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The sign that there will be is that there's a child lying wrapped in bands of cloth in a manger. And then there's this concert, right? With all the angels singing. And they're singing glory to God in the highest heaven. On earth, peace among those whom he favors. What a time that must have been. I mean, you think you had a good Christmas? Imagine the shepherds, right? Just think of how the shepherds must have felt that night. The, the whole universe bending toward Bethlehem. The, the veil between eternity and time just ripping there in front of them. And they're able to see it with stunning clarity. Angels hear them singing this unearthly and beautiful music. And, and then like that, it's over. Concert Over. Once again, the sky is dark. Once again, the only sound they can hear is the sheep making sheep noises, crickets making cricket noises, and perhaps when it was really still, the beating of their hearts. What did the shepherds do? They said, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. And they went. And when they get there, they find Mary and they find Joseph and they find the baby lying in a manger. And the truth is that the baby and the holy family and the whole story are even more beautiful than they thought it would be when the angel was telling them about it. Maybe what we need to do after the ecstasy of Christmas is just this. To get up and go to Jesus. Maybe what we need to do is to recognize that brighter visions still beam afar. When we're right around Christmas, when uh, the few days before, all the ideas are out there, right? We're constantly reminding ourselves, Jesus is the reason for the season. But we forget, as we sit around a browning Christmas tree, that Jesus is still the reason for today, here and now. And so maybe one thing we can do, now that the angels have stopped singing, now that the presents are unwrapped, now that the feast is devoured, is to get up and go to Jesus again. What do I mean by that? I mean, that's lovely rhetoric. What do I mean? Well, there are all kinds of ways that we encounter Jesus. We encounter Jesus through the Bible. We encounter Jesus through the spoken word, through the preached word. We we encounter Jesus... Through the sacrament of communion, we encounter Jesus in the gathering of the community. We encounter Jesus in the poor. We encounter Jesus through art. We encounter Jesus through creation. We encounter Jesus through giving. Maybe, maybe, now that the Christmas joy has died down, maybe you have your own encounter with Jesus to pursue in one of those areas. Maybe you have your own Bethlehem to go to. Maybe you need to choose one of these many ways to look for God and to make that your passion. To find him whose birth the angels sing in a new way. So that's one thing you could do after Christmas. But but it's not just this part of the story that gives us this vision of what you can do after Christmas. We read that the shepherds show up and they have this grand old time, right? They spend a long time telling Mary and Joseph everything they've heard, everything they've seen concerning this child. And they say, oh, there were angels in the sky. You should have seen it. It was amazing. And I used to love imagining this as a kid. I used to love imagining the shepherds telling the story and and Mary and Joseph and their eyes just getting wider and wider as they realized, wow, there is something special about this baby. I mean, I I know I've heard that there would be, but, but wow, I love it when people tell me that I have nice kids or polite kids or smart kids. I can't quite imagine how it would feel to have someone tell me, you know, angels were singing to me about Lucy the other day. You should have heard it, right? How weird, how amazing would that be? Whatever, it must have been quite a time. It must have been quite humbling, quite moving, and and a moment of quiet ecstasy, especially for Mary. But as we've been talking about this morning, that time And it's funny what we read. We read, Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. That little word, but, is what's kind of interesting to me here. Everyone was amazed, but Mary treasured the words and pondered them. Does that mean Mary wasn't amazed? No, I think what it means is that everyone who was amazed did a lot of what we might do when we're amazed by something. They talked about it. They chattered about it. Oh, Dolores, it was amazing. Did you ever think right here in Bethlehem, angels, oh, I know. All around Mary is this noise, 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 noise. But for Mary, in her maiden bliss, there is this slow, quiet realization That this is a pivotal moment of history and she wants to live in it. She is determined to live in it right here, right now, for as long as it takes. Let the others talk. Let the others chatter. I'm going to treasure. I'm going to ponder. For me, Mary's choice to treasure and to ponder these words... Are tied so closely to to the idea of gratitude. She is keenly aware that she is playing a part in saving the world. And so there is so much more mysterious happening here than angels dancing in the sky. She knows something special and mysterious is happening right there in her arms. And so she takes time with it. She takes time with the mysteries. She looks down and, like every parent, she says, He's so beautiful. Perfect little eyes. Perfect little lips. Perfect little wisps of dark hair. How did this even happen? How do we get this miracle? How, how is this? How is this, this one sleeping here in my arms? How is he going to be what they say he's going to be? I don't know. So I'll sit. And I'll treasure And I'll ponder and I'll watch and I'll watch and I'll watch and I will keep grateful vigil with this baby right here with the Holy Star. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son of His. Thank you, Son of Mine. And thank you, Spirit of God who makes all things new. Maybe after Christmas, you're called on to do more treasuring and pondering. What's there in your life right now that you're overlooking? What gift is there in your life right now that you are excited about, that you are chattering about, but not appreciating? What is there in your life that that overwhelms you with a sense of responsibility, a sense of awesomeness, so much that you haven't even reflected on what a gift it is to have it there in the first place? This dull post-Christmas season is the perfect time to treasure and to ponder. So you might want to do that after Christmas. But there's something else you might want to try. After this happy exchange with Mary, after the great time they've had together, after the shepherds and Mary and Joseph have sat around and talked, we read the simple sentence, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. The shepherds returned. Time to get back to life. Time to get back to real life, as it were. Time to get back to the sheep. The sheep weren't going to take care of themselves, after all. But as they go back, of course, they're, they're going back to the same old jobs, the same old realities, but everything is changed forever. And so they're, they're glorifying and praising God. Their old lives, these lives with the sheep, are now Shot through with divine purpose. They're now riddled with salvation in their quiet lives. And so they're going about their old business very differently, with renewed hearts, hearts that glorify, hearts that praise. There's something very noble, I think, about both halves of the shepherd's action here. I love that the shepherds return, they go back. It's a very adult thing to do. It would have been tempting for the shepherds to say, ah, let's spend the night. I mean I'm sure the sheep are gonna be fine for one night. I mean, there were angels out in the field after all, so if God wants the shepherds to be fine, or the sheep to be fine, God will make sure the sheep will be fine. We deserve to just enjoy ourselves here tonight. Let's stay here, let's stay with these lovely people, let's enjoy this new little baby. But they didn't do that. Now I don't know exactly why they didn't. Maybe they know that beautiful sleeping little babies turn into beautiful crying little babies in the middle of the night, and so they figured better go back to the sheep. But But I tend to think that their going back meant that they're not running away from their responsibilities. That's what grown-ups do. I like that. It's adult. It's noble. Yet at the same time, they go back to their lives with this entirely new frame about what their lives mean. They return with hearts that praise and give thanks. Now, I think there's something for us here too. We need to return to normal life. You know, we can cling to that browning Christmas tree if you want to. And you can go out and party all night tomorrow night if you want to. But there is no denying that school starts on Wednesday. Your job waits for you. Your boss waits for you. More ominously, the cold realities of life wait for you. A broken world continues on in a broken way. The pain of poverty continues to grip people we love. Our friends have started Chemo treatments again. All around us is the world that needs our tending and needs our efforts. We have to go back. We have to return. But we can return glorifying and praising. We can return as if this baby in a manger really does make a genuine difference in the way that we deal with the realities of this broken world. We can return as if this baby in a manger really does make a difference in the way we approach our schools, in the way we approach our jobs, our bosses, our our sickness, our our poverty, the brokenness of the world. We say that he makes a difference, and and we can articulate it in our heads, but, but we often don't live with that deep joy as a reality every day. So maybe the call of this text is for you to return, but to return joyful, renewed, restored, healed, praising, glorifying. So maybe you want to do that. There's one more piece I want to tell you or show you in the story. It says, after eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Now, this part of the story, aside from the angel naming, is fairly customary. It's what you do with a good Jewish baby boy when he's born in first century Judea. You take him to be circumcised and to receive his name. In a sense, there's nothing unusual here. And of course, that's what makes it so great. Jesus, this boy whose birth was most unusual, this boy whose birth caused angels to show up and start singing a song, this boy whose birth caused a star to appear in the sky, this boy whose birth caused a bunch of shepherds to start throwing a jubilee, this boy gets the same treatment as everybody else, which is rather an indignity, circumcision, and a name being chosen for him. That's what it meant to be one of the people. It meant to be governed by the same rules as everyone else. To be circumcised because they were circumcised. To be baptized because they were baptized. To be subject to all the same things that they were subjected to. You know, we're we're often glad that Jesus came to earth to be one of us. But I think we often miss what it means that he came to earth to be part of a particular people. That's part of the glory That's part of the message of the season, because Jesus didn't come as this radically disembodied person. He came as part of a tradition, part of a community. He came as a person who inherited a certain kind of spirituality, a person who inherited the wisdom of the past centuries in a certain way. Yes, he revolutionized what that tradition meant. He revolutionized the wisdom that he inherited, but he still inherited it. He still embraced it, even as he built on it. He embraced Jewish teaching on the Sabbath even as he built on it and pushed it. He embraced Jewish teaching on tithing even as he pushed it. Now some of you are getting nervous and you think what I'm going to suggest is that after Christmas what you can do is undergo radically invasive personal ritual surgery. And that's not my suggestion. My suggestion is something different. There's something profound for us to see here because we're encouraged often to think of ourselves as Lone Ranger's in the world. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the whole world. In general. We like to talk about ways that we're unique. Ways that we contribute. Ways that we're different. Ways that we play a part in what communities are doing. And that's fine. That's part of what I do when I talk about spiritual gifts. Right? I want us to find ways in which we're unique. But the shadow side of this is that we we also tend to focus on the inadequacies of those around us and the communities of which we're a part. But who wouldn't be better suited to think about the inadequacies of the community of which he's a part than Jesus? Right? Jesus is part of our community and he's fully aware of our inadequacies. Our failures. And yet he loves us. I mean, he's one of us. And not just just in this... Well, these people desperately need someone to save them. These people desperately need someone to love them, so I'll save them, but they better worship me for it. Not like that. No, no, no. Jesus' love is this. uh, I see potential in these people. I see potential in these communities that they can't see in themselves. I want to give myself for them. I want to give my life for them so that they can see what they are. That they can see the kind of power with which they can live their lives. I want to become one of them so they can can see what they can be. That's the kind of love Jesus has for us. How do you get that love? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a lifetime kind of question to ask. How do we learn to love like Jesus? But I think like Jesus, it might start by being part of a community. It starts with suppressing our desire for fame, suppressing our desire for self-expression. And realizing that we have a lot to learn from the communities that surround us. It starts by, by thinking of what we can learn before we think of what we can contribute. So maybe that's the call for you after Christmas this year. Maybe after the ecstasy of the holiday, you can throw yourself more deeply into the life of the community of which you're a part. Maybe that means listening to your irritating coworker. More patiently. Maybe it means trying to discern the voice of God in your interruptions. Maybe that means listening to your teacher. Listening to your students. Listening to your parents. Listening to your children. Giving more of yourself to those relationships that define so many of us in our lives. And maybe it simply boils down to biting our tongue more often. Looking for ways to learn from those around us rather than to teach them. All the time. There's a very distinct scent. Associated with New Year's Day in my house. And I hate it. Turkey noodle soup. Turkey for Christmas every year. I don't know why. We did turkey for Thanksgiving. But whatever. We do it again for Christmas. That's what you do. That's what we did. So that's what everyone must do. But by New Year's Day, the turkey leftovers were basically gone, and turkey noodle soup simmered on the stove, and there was football on TV all day. As it was when I was eight years old, it would start with the Florida citrus bowl at 11.30 in the morning, and it would wind down late in the evening with the sugar bowl. Those are the only appropriate bowls to be played on New Year's Day. Why? Because it happened that way in my childhood. I loved those days. I loved football, but inside my stomach there would be this knot twisting as the soup simmered on the stove. Christmas was over, over and not coming back, and tomorrow was January 2nd and school began. And I would sometimes cry a little, and I would sometimes not, but no matter what, I would want to turn back time. I would want to do anything to return to that feeling I had had just a week ago. Where there were angels sweeping through the skies. Where there was divine song ringing through the heavens. Where where nations were bringing their gifts to this boy. But I couldn't ever find the secret to turning it back. We can't turn back time. And that's okay. Because we can go forward. We can look for Jesus as did the shepherds. We can treasure And we can ponder, as did Mary. We can return to the world glorifying and praising, as did the shepherds. And as did Jesus, we can give ourselves anew to the communities that God has gifted to us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of festival seasons. We thank you for feasts that we can celebrate. We thank you for amazing events that took place back then. For the sky lighting up with angels. For the electricity in the air that night and the joy in the shepherds' faces and the way they talked to Mary and all of it. But we know, God, that most of our lives are not lived in those times. We pray, God, that you will comfort those who need comfort about that reality. That reality hurts and depresses many of us. We pray, God, though, that you would give us strength to find a faithful way forward after this season to find a way to follow you in a new way, to search for you, to treasure, to ponder the gifts you've given us, to return to our work changed and anew, and God, to give ourselves more completely to this wonderful community you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.